The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at uh, CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five and five. First off, buyers looking to get back in the driver's seat after Wall Street's worst day since May and tech's worst day since March. RBC's Mark Mahaney, he's here to weigh in. Also, President Biden, he cancels his trip to the Windy City, instead opting to hunker down right there in D.C. amid ongoing debt limit and government funding talks. Raymond James Ed Mills has what it means for Friday's deadline day. And all this, says Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, sounds the alarm over what a missed debt payment could mean for D.C. and the future of the U.S. economy. Chinese property giant Evergrande looking to soothe investor fears, making plans to raise a cool $1.5 billion, a live report from Beijing ahead. And federal regulators, they're leaning towards the authorization of a second COVID-19 booster vaccine. It is Wednesday, September 29th, 2021. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan, kicking off your Wednesday morning with U.S. stock futures. And take a look at this. U.S. stock futures, we're going to show you just in a second, all the indices up over a half a percent. The Nasdaq nearly up one percent. This, a pretty big turnaround. This morning's potential bounce back coming after the Nasdaq fell nearly 3% for its worst day since March. And the S&P seeing its worst day since May amid a spike in interest rates, escalating supply chain fears and an ongoing stalemate in D.C. ahead of Friday's funding deadline. Yields pulling back just a bit this morning. Right now standing, as you can see, the 10-year at one51 uh, despite the wider sell-off, energy markets coming off a mostly higher session with Brent crude trading just below its highest level in three years. Oil also pulling back very slightly this morning. You see WTI down almost a percent. Same thing for Brent crude. Now let's get to this morning's top stories. Silvana Hanau is here. Silvana, good morning. Frank, good morning. President Biden is canceling his planned trip to Chicago today, instead choosing to stay in Washington in an effort to salvage talks with Democratic lawmakers when it comes to his $3.5 trillion infrastructure package. This amid an ongoing stalemate between Democrats and Republicans over how to pay the nation's bills after Friday's deadline day, something Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says could harm the U.S. economy in the long term. It would be disastrous for the American economy, for global financial markets, and for millions of families and workers whose financial security would be jeopardized by delayed payments. Separately, Pfizer and BioNTech says they have submitted data to the FDA showing their joint COVID-19 vaccine is safe for children ages 5 to 11, adding they will submit formal requests to regulators for emergency approval in the coming weeks. But even with submission, the Wall Street Journal reports a green light from the FDA on a vaccine for kids may not come until November at the earliest. And buyers of Apple's new iPhone 13 could reportedly face longer-than-expected delivery times because of a wave of COVID-19 infections in Vietnam, this according to Nikkei Asia. 
several major components of the new iPhones are assembled in that country, including those for its new camera. The report says the disruption could begin to ease as soon as October. Frank? All right, Savannah, thank you very much. You got it. Turning our attention back to the markets now. Now, despite yesterday's sell-off and worries in recent days over rising bond yields, Fed tapering, U.S. debt limit, tons of other issues. There's tons of them out there. Stocks, they're still holding up relatively well for the quarter overall. With two trading days left, the Dow is down just six-tenths of a percent, while the Nasdaq is up 0.3 percent. The S&P, the broader market, if you still consider it that, up about 1.3 percent. Let's just get a little bit more perspective now. We're going to welcome in Dory Wiley, CEO of Commerce Street Capital. Dory, thanks for being here. Good morning. So we're, we're kind of detailing how the, the month is going for the markets. Obviously, a huge sell-off yesterday. Futures up this morning. One set I want to talk to you about. Um, the Dow, excuse me, the Nasdaq and the S&P are both on pace for their worst month since September of 2020. Um, this year, you see teeter-tottering between positive and negative for the Dow and the Nasdaq. You all, you call this a good slump. I think you'd have to explain it. A lot of people yesterday aren't going to call it a good sell-off. Why do you say this is all a good slump? Well, uh, first of all, we hadn't had a correction in a while. The market had been uh, not very vol- volatile, uh, considering all the uh, pressures we have in, in, in the world and, and people expecting downside. So September's coming up, and th- people are thinking, hey, uh, you know, September regular is the only month that normally loses money uh, in the market. So uh, I, there has been selling pressure all month, and actually I'm kind of, kind of surprised it hasn't been more. So if we can get through... Uh, September with uh, whatever the loss is, two, three percent, four percent, whatever it is, but keep it under five, then I think there's a really good chance to get through uh, October, November, and December, uh, uh, and and remain, uh, you know, a nice positive for the year. So, Dory, some people they call the S and P the broader market. I know some people, like my colleague Mike uh, Santoli, they've stopped calling it that because it's so tech heavy. Tech about forty percent of the S and P. So we've seen the S&P up about 1.3% this month. But again, tech is such a big part of it. And bond yields, they've risen pretty dramatically this month. At the start of September, the 10-year was at 1.3, up about 20 basis points since then. Why are we seeing such great performance from the S&P? What's keeping it up? Well, you know, that's really a good point. You know, it's been very tech heavy. And let's talk about interest rates right quick with the tech. Uh, With the fear of uh, Greenspan saying at the Senate Banking Committee that Inflation could remain elevated longer than they expected. Uh, obviously, that puts downward pressure on growth stocks, which is what tech is. Now, if you do a lot of studying of tech stocks in correlation with 10-year years, you, you'll find that there's low correlation and even negative correlation over longer periods of time. So those create buying opportunities, I think, in particular when you have good, healthy uh, tech stocks like Apple and whatnot with big margins and big money and big prospects. And so you can get those on the dips, and I think it's a good time to buy those. Now, as far as the rest of, rest of the S&P uh, staying up, that's just, you know, sector rotation and uh, the value stock of the S&P. So yesterday we heard Jenny Yellen say that uh, the debt limit could be a potential crisis for the markets, that if we somehow default or we don't reach a deal to extend it, it would be, you know, catastrophic for the markets. It would also re- lead to a rise in interest rates. But this morning, we're seeing the markets up, at least the futures right now, and interest rates fall. What do you make of it? Well, I don't mean to be cynical, but I mean, uh, that comes up every time the debt limit does, right? She's got to throw out the scare tactics and then uh, Congress reacts and they increase the debt limit. So uh, I'm not too worried about that. I think they'll take care of that. Congress has had no problem in spending money over the years. 
All right. So you're saying it's just a scare tactic. Before we let you go, we don't get too scary. We want to talk about some stocks that you feel good about. Um, any sectors or areas or stocks that you would pick right now? Well, sure. I think Apple's a good buy right here on the dip. You know, uh, it's, uh, below its 50-day trading moving average. I also like uh, the banking sector, particularly the community banking sector. The banking's been the strongest it's ever been. Uh, high capital levels, good earnings. M&A is up. Uh, it's a good time for some of these banks to be buying other banks. They've been buying them at relatively low prices compared to the last 20 and 30 years. Uh, so uh, there's there's some good banks out there to buy. You can buy North Rim out of Alaska right now. Uh, it trades in a, in a range over the last uh, 20 years, and it's a good bank, and it's got a good yield of about 384 right now and a single-digit PE number. All right. Just want to mention, uh, Dory, North Rim has a market cap below $500 million. We usually don't talk about those, but understand that's your pick. Really appreciate the time. And by the way, I like the library background. I feel like everybody has the virtual backgrounds on Zoom. I like to see the real books behind you. Have a great day. <laughs> you bet. Thanks. <laughs> All right. When we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, embattled Chinese property developer Evergrande facing another big debt deadline today. And the global markets, they're definitely watching. A live report from Beijing coming up next. Plus, the tech tumble closely followed. Analyst Mark Mahaney joins us with how he's playing the recent drop in some of the sector's most popular names. And then our special series rolls on. Q4, go big or go home. Kate Faddish shares her stock picks for the final three months of the year. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The latest on the crisis surrounding China's Evergrande, the struggling property giant, raising a cool $1.5 billion with a B by selling a stake in its own commercial bank. This as it scrambles to raise money as it faces yet another bond payment deadline today. Yunus Yoon is live in Beijing with the very latest. Hey, Yunus. Hey, Frank. Well, Evergrande is going to be using the proceeds of that sale to settle its debts with that key lender. And it's also going to be selling a stake to a state-backed firm. So there are two things that people um, say that this sale really highlights. One, that Evergrande is prioritizing domestic creditors and also that state firms are going to be playing quite a large role in the organization, reorganization of the firm. Now, the company still owes 
$47.5 million in interest payments to foreign bondholders today. Uh, Fitch downgraded Evergrande uh, to just one notch above default uh, because of an interest payment that it missed on a different dollar-denominated bond uh, last week. Uh, the uh, uh, news agency Reuters is reporting that Beijing is prodding government-linked firms to try to get involved and buy some of Evergrande's assets, including a $1.9 billion soccer stadium that seats 100,000 people, supposedly the world's largest. Now, the government has largely remained quiet about any direct support. Uh, however, the central bank vowed to protect Chinese home buyers. This is the first time that it mentioned the word real estate in one of its regular policy meetings since 2009. The bank injected yet again uh, more liquidity into the banking system, about $15.5 billion to ease some of the market jitters. But we are seeing signs of stress, Frank, um, among other developers. Uh, Fantasia, which is another stretched company, halted shares in Hong Kong because of pending substantial, it said, asset disposal. So, Eunice, uh, obviously this situation being watched very closely, what's the government doing to try to mitigate the potential risk here? Well, they're doing a lot, but one of the um, initiatives that has been um, making people a little bit nervous is that the government said that it's going to mitigate financial risks by ramping up an anti-corruption drive, uh, targeting 25 financial institutions or financial entities. So this includes a lot of different organizations, including the PBOC, the central bank, as well as the stock exchange, a whole bunch of different banks, as well as insurance companies. And again, the point is to try to mitigate the risks, but it's actually been raising a lot of speculation and concern among Chinese bankers that some of their titans of industry can be targeted. And in fact, one uh, example that has been discussed a lot here is the uh, former chairman of a bad debt asset management company called Huarong. That uh, chairman was convicted of corruption and then he was executed earlier this year. All right, Yunus Yun with the very latest out of Beijing. Thanks for that report. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, tech stocks leading the markets lower yesterday. Facebook, Microsoft, and Alphabet all losing more than 3%. Amazon dropping 2%. Closely followed internet analyst Mark Mahaney. He's going to join us to make sense of the whole thing. Today's big number, 12.1 years. That's the average age of a car on the U.S. road this year according to data from IHS Market. That's 26% older than the average 20 years ago. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Stocks looking to rebound after yesterday's tumble with the Nasdaq closing down some 423 points or 2.8% for its worst day since March 18th. 
for the month. The Nasdaq's down more than four and a half percent and on pace to snap a three month win streak. And if it does end the month at these levels, it will be the worst monthly performance since September of 2020 pre-vaccine. Joining me now is Evercore Senior Managing Director and Head of Internet Research, Mark Mahaney. Mark, thanks for being here. Good morning, Frank. So got to jump right in this, man. Amid yesterday's sell-off, how are investors supposed to, uh, who are exposed to a lot of big tech, which is just about everybody at this point, supposed to navigate an environment where yields are pretty much destined to move higher? Well, that's always going to be a headwind for uh, technology stocks. Some more than others, there are what I call PS stocks and there are PE stocks. So price to sales stocks, those are the stocks that trade. I don't necessarily have a lot of uh, earnings or free cash flow. So oftentimes investors, but they have a lot of growth. So investors look at them on a price to sales basis. Those stocks will usually correct the most in this kind of environment. And then you can look at safer stocks that have uh, well-established valuations. Uh, that's uh, a Facebook, a Google, a Microsoft, those would normally fa- uh, fare better. And then you also want to be selective in this environment and look for companies with specific capital in the back half. And companies are replaced. We particularly like uh, Uber, Netflix, and Amazon remain our top picks going into the end of the year, even in a rising rate environment. All right, Mark, you have a little bit of technical difficulties. We can't see you, but we can still hear you. I know you said uh, Uber is one of your picks in the current environment. Um, while we're hoping that your internet improves for a second, we've got to look at some of the tech stocks, at least their performance right now in the pre-market. You see Apple, Facebook, Google, Amazon, all of them up, uh, most of them up just about a percent. A lot of fears about interest rates rising. They've risen very quickly over the last month since the start of September, up about 20 basis points. Why are we seeing this rebound today? Was this the people just buying the dip or is there some other catalyst for these tech stocks to trade higher? There's no particular catalyst today other than the, the dip buying from yesterday. The, the, the trade generally year to date has been to buy the dips on the leading assets, the highest quality assets. So the market's trying to put that same strategy to work today. Again, I think you need to be very selective in the stocks in the back in the back half of the year. Not all tech stocks are going to be the same. And there are names that have done phenomenally well this year. Facebook and Google, we think they're more likely to be in consolidation phases, as most ad names are. We are looking for names with specific catalysts over the next three to six months. And those are ones that we prefer and companies that are really levered to a kind of a full COVID recovery. And we're obviously still you know, relatively far from that, that condition. One other, uh, other, excuse me, Mark, one other area of tech, it is still early, sorry about that. One other area of tech I want to talk to you about is fintech. You see Square and PayPal up big this morning. Um, is that just kind of some enthusiasm over their part in the holiday season and spending, especially with both of them uh, exposed to buy now and pay later, things like that, very trendy stocks? Or is there some other reason for those stocks to be trading higher? I don't I don't directly cover those. But, uh, you know, you just mentioned two names that have obviously been around the market, uh, in the market for quite some time. Uh, especially a name like PayPal, really well-established uh, financials and profit levels. So I think the, the market may well, if you're going to go, if you're going to gravitate to high quality tech, uh, companies whose fundamentals are, are much more likely to survive in most environments, um, uh, then those, those two names would probably be in that basket, along with some of the, you know, the other well-known names, widely owned names that we discussed earlier. Again, the market will re- revert to those PE or price-to-earning stocks that are easier to justify. They've got a lot of growth. They've got healthy margins. They've got a good track record. The market will first snap back with those before it'll get to the more speculative tech names. All right, Mark, we're having some issues with your Internet just a little bit. So we're going to go analog and go to your crystal ball. Right now, the uh, yields on the 10-year, they're about 1.505. A lot of people concerned about the rapid rise. Clearly, not clearly, but it looks like they're going to continue to rise. What level can they settle at 
that will make investors feel comfortable to put their money back in tech? I don't think it's a particular level. I think it's the rate of movement in the rates. So if you have a, a, a really rapid uh, move up in the rates, that's what spooks growth investors. That's what spooks tech investors, those that have a long-term outlook that where the value in the DCF, if you will, is in the terminal value, not in the next, uh, not in year one, year two, and year three. So it's really the, the pace at which the rates move up rather than the overall level. One and a half percent fundamentally is a very low rate historically. Mm-hmm. I think we all appreciate that, but it's right. the move that, that matters. All right, there we go. Mark Mahaney with the very latest on tech trading. Thanks a lot for that. Thank you, Frank. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines outside the business world. NBC's Frances Rivera. She's in New York with the very latest. Frances, always great to see you. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. We begin this morning with America's top brass back in the hot seat today to answer for the chaotic and deadly exit from Afghanistan. A House committee is set to grill military leaders this morning after yesterday's heated showdown in the Senate where the generals admitted to a strategic failure. Those military advisors also contradicted President Biden, who had claimed they never advised him to keep 2,500 American troops there to prevent a Taliban takeover. The NBA's biggest star is urging people to get vaccinated. I know um, that I was very skeptical about it all, um, but after doing my research and things of that nature, I felt like it was best suited for not only me, but for my family and for my friends. And, uh, you know, and that's why I decided to do it. LeBron James announced that he is now vaccinated after months of hesitance. The NBA doesn't have a vaccine mandate, but 90 percent of players are reportedly vaccinated. And the deals are brewing across the country today to celebrate National Coffee Day. Starbucks will fill your clean, reusable cup with a free medium roast coffee all day. And Duncan's D&D Perks members get a free medium iced or hot coffee with any purchase. But there are a lot of us on our shift, Frank, including myself, who don't have coffee, don't caffeinate at all for this shift. But at least it's for everybody else to enjoy on a day like today. There's Francis, your headlines, Frank. I'm with you. I don't drink coffee at yeah. all. Everybody here thinks I'm crazy. Every once in a while, I'll take a sip of, of a caffeinated soda. I don't like hot drinks, though. I'm right there with you. Although tea, but yeah, the, the jitters, you know, the uneasiness, all that. We can, we figured it out, right, Frank? We're up yeah, this No morning. caffeine today, Francis. And this is like my first day doing this show all week, but no caffeine today. We'll see how tomorrow goes. All right. See you in a bit. <laughs> Great to see you as always. All right, coming up, our series continues. Q4, go big or go home. Our special series on making some cash in the final months of 2021 rolls on with Kate Faddis coming up next. And if you haven't already followed our podcast, you might as well just go ahead and do it. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, Big Papa Brian Sullivan, anybody else that fills in, check us out on Apple, Spotify, and other podcast apps. And, of course, a reminder, CNBC is delivering Alpha. It's back today, bringing you unparalleled insight and investment strategies with a stacked lineup of speakers. There's still time to be part of all the action. You can register now at DeliveringAlpha.com, and we will be right back. Stocks looking to claw back some of Tuesday's steep losses. The markets and tech in particular suffered their worst day in months. Futures, however, up sharply. J.P. Morgan chief Jamie Dimon out with a new warning over the debt ceiling drama that's gripping D.C. The steps he says that his bank is taking on concerns of a potential default by the U.S. government. In our special series, Go Big or Go Home, it continues. Grace Capital's Kate Faddis is up next with three under-the-radar stocks that she says could help you make some money. It is Wednesday, September the 29th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Collin in for Big Papa, Brian Sullivan. And here is how stock futures are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. 
after that really wild session yesterday with the broad sell-off. Right now, we're seeing stocks in general in the green. The S&P and the uh, the Dow up over a half a percent. The Nasdaq up almost a percent. Now, turning our attention to Treasuries, very closely watched. The rapid rise in the 10-year yield being very closely watched, and especially its impact on tech. Right now, we see the 10-year at 1.506, ticking down very slightly just then. Bitcoin also bouncing back a bit after sliding yesterday. Bitcoin right now sitting right now up about a percent and a half right now, sitting over the 40,000 mark, obviously very closely watched as we see those interest rates rise. Now it's time to go worldwide. Our Juliana Tattlebaum, she's live in our London newsroom with a look at the early trade over there in Europe, seeing a little red, little green, Juliana. Good morning, Frank. Well, actually, here in Europe, we've got green across the board. Very similar story to what you're seeing in U.S. futures this morning. After that steep and broad-based sell-off in Europe yesterday, the stock 600 ending about 2.2% lower. We are seeing investors coming in, buying the dip. So broad-based gains for European markets. But, of course, in terms of magnitude, the losses yesterday still steeper than the gains we're seeing this morning. So 1% higher for the German market. The French CAC 40 also up by about 1%. The Swiss market has been leading the gains all morning up by about 1.1%. And here in the UK, FTSE 100 up about 0.9%. Very similar market narrative taking hold yesterday with inflation and bond markets taking focus here in Europe. So we seem to be tracking those moves that you're seeing stateside. Turning to sectors, this is what the breakdown looks like from a sector perspective. Every sector is trading higher. Now, earlier this morning, we did have oil and gas trading below the flat line. And oil and gas energy, of course, the um, main positive a spot in the market yesterday. So that comes in contrast to the trade trading session yesterday. But even oil and gas now catching a bid, and that sector is up about 0.2%. Leading the gains, we've got autos out in front, 1.6% higher, travel and leisure, and technology. So technology clawing back from those steep losses that we saw yesterday. Finally, Frank, I'll just give you a quick check on bond markets here in Europe, because yesterday we did see a European bond yields move higher in lockstep with that move you saw in treasuries. And this morning, very similar moves here. We are seeing yields move lower once again, similar to what we are seeing in U.S. bond markets. Frank, back over to you. Joanna, thanks a lot. You're wearing red. European markets in green. I appreciate it. All right, now to more <laughs> of your morning's top stories. Savannah Hanau is back with many more of those. Savannah, are you wearing red? You're wearing red. Yep. I'm just seeing red everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not in stocks today. Uh, Frank, so Elon Musk says the U.S. government should avoid trying to roll out regulations when it comes to cryptos. Musk making those comments yesterday while speaking at the Code Conference. It's not possible to, I think, destroy crypto, but it is possible for governments to uh, slow down its advancement. So what should the U.S. government do? We had Gary Gensler on earlier. SEC chairman, he was calling it the wild west of finance. What should they do, if anything? I would say do nothing. Okay, they're yeah. not saying that. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't I would say just, just let, let it fly. Musk adding he isn't a massive crypto expert, and while there's some value in the digital assets, they aren't the second coming of the Messiah. And J.P. Morgan's CEO says the bank has begun preparing for the possibility of the U.S. hitting its debt limit. Speaking with Reuters, Jamie Dimon says the bank has begun scenario planning on how a potential default could impact a variety of markets. But he adds that he does expect lawmakers to find a solution to avoid that potentially catastrophic event. 
And United Airlines is set to fire nearly 600 employees after they failed to comply with the airline's COVID vaccination policy. However, the airline says the workers can remain employed if they get vaccinated before their formal termination meetings. Frank? All right, Silvana, thanks for those latest headlines. Sure thing. Now to the latest installment of our continuing Go Big or Go Home series as we close the books on Q3 and try to find some ways to make you a little bit of cash in Q4. Plenty of interesting picks so far this week from Jenny Harrington and Katie Stockton. Names like New York Community Bank Corp, Sabra Health, Conagra Brands, Dish Network, and many more. Let's see what our next guest is looking at for the rest of the year. Kate Faddish, she's the CEO and the founder of Grace Capital. Kate, thanks for being here. How are you, Frank? Thank you for having me. I'm doing well, great. First- what, you just want to jump I- into it? You have Your picks are that hot. I'm going to let you go. Go ahead. My first pick is Zscaler. Uh, This is a name I love because it's in the valuable cybersecurity space. Cybersecurity threats are only getting worse. Zscaler is like Palo Alto or Fortinet in that it offers firewalls to keep the bad guys out. The normal firewall acts like, think of an office receptionist, Frank, or a security guard. They validate your ID. Yep, it's you. They let you in. Zscaler takes it to a new level. With a typical firewall, they let you into the building and you can wander around. Zscaler takes you into a room, locks the door. You stay there. Uh, What's great about it is that it really stops, limits the the bad things that can be done. Market cap is 37 billion. Revenues are running at a rate of 1.3 billion a year. So it's trading at 30 times revenue, not cheap. But the revenues are expected to double every couple of years. Yeah, interesting you said not cheap. Let's go to your second pick, which is Okta. And you and I talked about this a little bit yesterday because I don't know that much about cybersecurity and how these things work together. But according to you, Zscaler and Okta, they actually work together. They do. So Zscaler, before they offer the firewall, they validate your identity through Okta. Okta is a $37 billion market cap, and they are in the identity space. You think about it, employee identity, very, very important. What they've done is for employees, they have what's called a single sign-in. So before you join a company, you may have uh, subscriptions to the New York Times, to Bloomberg, to uh, uh, various websites. And you would have a a login for every single one. What Okta does is they give you one sign-in, and they tell you which ones you can log on to, which ones you cannot log on to. The nice thing about it, if you ever leave the company, one fell swoop, you're blocked off of everything. No more wondering, oh, this person has left. Do they still have access to this or that? Okay, they do the same thing on the consumer side. Believe it or not, there was a time, if you have a Facebook account and Facebook says, can I have access to your email contacts? You would have to give Facebook your username and password. Can you imagine? No more. Now, Facebook will have to work through Okta. Okta will give permission, will give the username, will give the information without your username and password. Very important. They're also doing the same thing app to app, machine to app. It's a huge market, $80 billion. The U.S. government is getting in on the game. They're a little bit slow on cloud. I expect this thing to keep growing. We own it. We love it. It's growing 45% revenue a year. Revenues are $1.2 billion. Again, not cheap, but I think you've got to own it. You know, it's interesting you keep saying not cheap. Um, one other thing I want to talk to you about, just their performance over the last week. I know tech's having a sell-off in general, but cybersecurity is more in demand than ever. 
And then you look today, Okta's down fractionally, but Zscaler's up big. Any reason for that today? Because these companies are not going away. Cybersecurity threats are not going away. Chief technology officers know they're going to need these. So the demand is there. Uh, I'm not too concerned about short-term price, price movements. Okay. So you know, I know you have one more pick, and this one I think is really interesting. I mean, you talk about some outside-the-box pick. I'm going to let you go because we're almost running out of time. Okay, very quickly, Radnet, very simple story. Okay, uh, it's $28 stock. It's the largest provider of outpatient imaging services. Has a market cap of $1.6 billion. Very simple. You can go to the hospital and pay four times as much to do your uh, MRI or your mammography, or you can go to Radnet. It's a 20, uh, 75% discount. The stock is great. CE, CFO, I met him. Smart as a tack. Really impressed. They grow their revenues. They lost revenues of 7% last year. This year, they grew it by 21%. They're, I think this is one you can buy, put away. It's also trading at 20 times PE, 20 times free cash flow, not revenue. So this is uh, my cheapest stock, and it's one I feel very confident about. Really interesting. And, you, and just really quick, you also call it a reopening and a recovery play. You think the demand for these services is going to increase as we go out and about more? It, it is, uh, Frank, because remember, last year with COVID, a lot of procedures didn't take place. People were just locked down. So the stock did get hit. The revenues did get hit last year. This year, things have opened up, and they're going to keep opening up. So uh, that, that's another kicker with this thing. There's also another AI kicker with it. And in general, I think this is, again, it's a small cap name. You can buy and hold for a long time. It's a meat and potatoes, nothing fancy, outsource scanning. All right. I like meat and potatoes, Kate. It's a vegan world, but I kind of still like meat and potatoes. You went big. You don't have to go home, even though I think you're at home right now. Kate Faddis, we appreciate it. And don't miss the final installment of our series tomorrow with Rich Saperstein plus Friday. All-out debate where our four guests defend their picks and they kind of get at it about each other about which one of their picks is best. I'm looking forward to it. I'll be here. All right, coming up, Congress racing to get a deal done to avoid a government shutdown as the debt ceiling fight hangs overhead. Raymond James' Ed Mills lays out the potential fallout of this fight for investors. But first, as we head to break, some of your other top stories. Netflix is officially making its gaming wishes a reality, buying the indie developer Night School Studio, the streaming giant snatching up the maker of titles like Oxenfree for an undisclosed amount. Wells Fargo is reportedly delaying the return to the office for its workers once again. According to reports, the banking giant says it will now start bringing back employees in January. Earlier this month, Wells Fargo pushed bringing employees back to November 1st. And shares of Warby Parker are set to begin trading today. The New York Stock Exchange is signing a $40 reference price to those shares. That would give the eyewear brand a valuation of $5 billion. You can catch the company's co-CEOs on Squawk Box at 7.15 Eastern. And stay tuned. Worldwide Exchange is coming back in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories in the morning. We're going to start off with a bit of a supply chain theme. First up, Sherwin-Williams. Despite strong demand, the paint maker is cutting his third quarter earnings and sales guidance because of shortages of raw materials. The company also doesn't expect to see improved supply or lower prices for those raw materials in the fourth quarter. Stock two, Micron. Fourth quarter results, they beat forecast, but the company expects first quarter revenue to come in below analyst estimates. Micron warning, shipments of its memory chips are set to dip in the near term as PC makers face shortages of other parts. 
Finally, Lucid Motors, the vehicle uh, electric vehicle startup, says it will start deliveries of its luxury sedan, the Lucid Air, in late October. The company began production of the long-delayed car at its factory in Arizona yesterday. It says it has 13,000 reservations so far. Now to the ongoing drama that's happening down in Washington, D.C., with Senate Democrats reportedly planning to vote as soon as today to once again and try and void a government shutdown. Leaders now apparently plan to separate the funding from a plan to raise the debt ceiling as Friday's deadline to prevent a shutdown. It is fast approaching. Meanwhile, President Biden is canceling his trip to Chicago today in a bid to try to get his legislative agenda and trillions in new government spending back on track. For much more on this, let's bring in Ed Mills, Washington policy analyst at Raymond James. Ed, thanks for being here. Morning, Frank. So let's talk first off about the debt ceiling. We heard Janet Yellen saying yesterday the catastrophic impact of the debt ceiling not being raised. How likely do you see the debt ceiling not being raised? And would it really have a catastrophic impact on our markets? Yeah, so the most likely scenario is that it gets raised. Um, how it gets raised, when it gets raised, that's the real debate. Um, I do see a scenario where Democrats uh, want to bring it as close to the X date uh, as they are putting pressure on Republicans to act. Um, I do think that there is a uh, backup strategy that's available to them, this reconciliation. They don't want to do that. Um, but they don't necessarily need Republican votes. Republicans just not filibustering uh, a vote on the debt ceiling could work or adding it to another must-pass piece of legislation, such as the Defense Authorization Act. Uh, so the process is there. It's just really messy right now. Yeah, you know, messy to say the least. There's a lot of drama. We keep using the word drama. People are spilling the tea and all this kind of stuff. Any other uh, phrase you want to use? How crucial will, yeah. will President Biden be in all this? We already just heard Jay Powell and Janet Yellen weigh in on this. We've heard what they have to say. President Biden staying in D.C. How crucial will his input with the with Democrats be? And also, do people actually care about the risk in D.C. at least about interest rates rising? Yeah. So um, the answer to the care about the risk. Absolutely. I think it gets harder for Democrats to pass their uh, multi-trillion dollar reconciliation bill uh, if there are concerns about inflation, if we do have higher debt costs. Um, in terms of Biden's role, uh, he's crucial here. What I get the sense from a lot of Democrats that I talk to and uh, kind of the statements to the press is that people recognize that there's going to be a need for compromise, but no one wants to be the first person to cave. Biden can provide the leadership uh, that allows for that off-ramp to occur. I think we're in this period of a lot of hard-fought wins, but there's also going to be a lot of hard-fought losses. People are going to have to show that they fought really hard, Frank, before they gave in to get that final deal. Um, Biden can provide that leadership saying this is the path forward for our party, uh, and this is why kind of people do have to compromise. So his leadership here is paramount to getting a deal struck on each one of the things that are coming up. Now, you're mentioning each one of the things. One of the things is that reconciliation package. Where do you see that finally landing? I know we're talking trillions with a T, but and huge numbers, unthinkable numbers almost. Where do you see that landing and who's happy and who's upset or who, where are people going to land on both sides of the aisle with this? Yeah, a, a compromise is when no one is truly happy. <laughs> Um, I do think that the base case here is a package in the 2 to $2.5 trillion range. I think that's the sweet spot. Um, people have whispered or kind of said, hey, I'd be happy to vote for that. Um, and so I think that's kind of the end result. 
you add in the $500 billion that's in the bipartisan bill. Um, and so you're in a total package of somewhere in that two to uh, $3 trillion range. Uh, it's not everything that Democrats want, but there are some looming deadlines, such as the extension of the child tax credit that ends in December. Uh, and I think a lot of Democrats look at the political environment and they think if they don't do this, uh, that they're really in a tough position in the midterms next year. They might be in a tough position anyway. So it's go big or go home or go big and I still might go home. At least they tried to do something big is the political calculus uh, a lot of them are making right now. Uh, they just need to kind of work through uh, some of the kind of brinksmanship that is going on here in D.C. Ed, I think you're watching the earlier part of the show. We have our own segment called Go Big or Go Home. Uh, it's interesting. That's also the theme down there in D.C., you hit on something I think that's really important and probably not spoken about enough on uh, the expiration of the child tax credit. That's, you know, a couple thousand dollars every year for for families in the, the middle class and the lower uh, lower income families. Also, we're seeing on Friday, coincidentally, whether that's coincidence or not, uh, the SNAP benefit, food stamps benefits increasing. Um, how is that all playing a part in this struggle over the debt ceiling, over the reconciliation package? And over other things in D.C., do Democrats see this as perhaps a chance to get a win um, with the child tax credit expiring? Yeah. So um, there's two things there. One is uh, we respond to a crisis or a deadline in D.C. So the last child tax credit goes out on December 15th. And so there's a question of does Congress go home for the year, go home for Christmas without extending that? So that's going to put pressure on a deal to get struck uh, this year. And then secondly, Democrats, um, and you hear this a lot from uh, Senator Sanders, they feel they have to provide things that are very tangible to the voter, uh, that in the past, these big programs that Democrats have come up with, um, in theory, kind of impact the voter, but are not as tangible as that deposit on a monthly basis for 88 percent of children in this country, um, providing that kind of uh, boost uh, to family spending and, and kind of really changing the economics of a lot of households uh, as they go into the midterms next year. They want to point to that and other kind of very specific, tangible things um, to kind of have that balance between if you vote for Democrats, this is what you get. If you vote for Republicans, this is what they might take away. All right, Mills, we appreciate it. Thanks for being here. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Stocks looking to recoup those steep losses amid mounting fears of rebounding bond yields. But could more pain be ahead if rates continue to climb? And it's Hispanic Heritage Month. All month long, we're spotlighting business leaders and our colleagues and contributors. Here at CNBC.com reporter Amanda Macias. As a Mexican-American, my advice to young Latinos would be to embrace the spirit of our culture, which is vibrant, passionate, and hardworking. Take every opportunity, no matter how small, for growth and development, and encourage and empower other Latinos, especially women, around you. Y la otra cosa es que hablar en español. Don't let your Spanish get away from you. It's a valuable asset. All right, welcome back. A reminder, CNBC's Delivering Alpha is back today, bringing you unparalleled insight and investment strategies with a really stacked lineup of speakers. And there's still time to be part of all of this action. You can register now at DeliveringAlpha.com. All right, stocks tumbling yesterday as rising bond yields deepen the route in tech shares. The yield on the 10-year Treasury pushing above 1.5% since the Fed signaled it could start tapering as soon as November and raise interest rates sometime next year. 
Investors largely agree the economy has improved significantly since the start of the pandemic. But some wonder how well it will be able to stand up all on its own once the Fed and other central banks start to tighten, even as inflation is still on the rise. Let's talk much more about this with Lindsay Piega, Piega, chief economist at Stiefel. Lindsay, it's early. I apologize. How's it going? Good morning. Thanks for having me. So I, I really want to talk about this rise in interest rates. They've risen very rapidly, and we talk about how that's hit tech shares. Um, is there a sense that it could rise to a certain level and calm everybody down? I asked somebody else about this earlier, or is it simply not the level, which are historically low, but just the rise that has everybody concerned? Oh, I think investors are hyper-focused on interest rates at this point, and specifically the, the eventual upward trajectory in interest rates. And for good reason, when we look at the recovery, so much of this has been supported by artificial policy measures, both fiscal and monetary. So going forward, the concern is that if the Fed begins to take its foot off the gas, or when the foot, excuse me, when the Fed begins to take its foot off the gas, I should say, the concern is that the recovery will lose significant momentum. Certainly the growth profile is expected to slow markedly from what we saw at the start of the year, when again, we saw these extraordinary measures, both from the federal government and the Fed in place. You know, Lindsay, isn't the economy going to slow down no matter what, even with the, the Fed's metaphorical foot still on the gas pedal? I know your, your GDP estimate for Q3 and Q4 this year and even for uh, 2022, it's much lower than the first half of 2021. Absolutely. We are looking for growth to slow noticeably. Uh, still a very positive trajectory for the economy. But when we look at the first half of the year, we were averaging about 6.5% growth, the consumer up over 11%. But this was very much supported by trillions upon trillions of fiscal stimulus, not to mention very accommodative monetary policy measures. Now looking to the back half of the year, even if we continue to see a very solid consumer with the expiration of many of these stimulus measures, the growth profile is expected to slow. Now, arguably, to a more organic composition of growth. But nevertheless, that headline number is likely to come in about half of what we saw at the start of the year. As you mentioned, we're looking for a range of about 3 to 4%. And as we turn the corner into next year, we're looking for growth to slow further. Again, still positive, but nearer a 2% pace. And I think it's worth warranting a mention that the U.S. economy was already losing momentum Prior to the pandemic, growth was slowing from 3% down to 2%. So going forward, again, barring that scenario of indefinite, unlimited government spending and debt creation, there's very little expectation that the U.S. economy then would be able to reach a sustained growth level much beyond what we saw at the end of 2019, early 2020, or even much beyond what we expect the longer-term growth rate for the economy to be, around 1.8%. All right, Lindsay Piegza, thank you very much for that insight. We always appreciate it. One last check of the markets before we head over to Squawk Box. Right now, markets in the green. We're seeing futures up across the board. Also, Bitcoin up about a percent and a half. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. As I mentioned, Squawk Box is coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.